Amen. All right, now when you see a whiteboard, what does it mean? <laughs> Pastor Jake Wood is teaching. Would you welcome this great teacher Thanks, to our pulpit? <laughs> it's true. It's true. How are you guys doing? Welcome to the party. My name is Pastor Jake. Uh, if this is your first time, we're so glad you're here. If you're tuning in online too, thanks for tuning in. Uh, real quick, you might have noticed something as you came in, a bunch of tables out in our uh, lobby area. And uh, those aren't accidents. Uh, we set those up on purpose. You'll see a bunch of ministry names. Uh, and it is most of our ministries here in this church. And I want to encourage you after the message, and you'll see kind of as we tie it all together uh, at the end, uh, I want to encourage you to take a moment. Uh, first off, if you have kids, go get your kids first, <laughs> okay? Your, our kids workers will thank you. Uh, and then I want you to mingle. Go mingle. Walk around. Ask questions. Um, it's our ministry fair. So we haven't done this in years, uh, and we're so excited to to see you guys come out and see, if anything, just to see ministries that you've never even heard of before. Like, wow, I didn't even know we were doing this. Uh, but more importantly, we want, we want you to plug in. We want you to use your gifts, your talents, your, un your uniqueness uh, to serve together uh, in the kingdom. Sound good? All right, um, so I want to jump in real quick. If you got your Bibles, pull them out. We're going to dig in. Uh, how many of you guys like those, uh, The Voice, uh, America's Got Talent, uh, any of those kind of singing? Yeah, a couple of them. <laughs> I saw some eyes roll like, oh, <laughs> so sick of them. I, I want to show you a clip uh, from one of those. And uh, it, well, I'll just go ahead and let's just roll it. Hi, what's your name, darling? My name is Susan Boyle. Okay, uh, Susan, and where are you from? I am from Blackburn near Bathgate, West Lothian. It's a big town. It's a sort of collection of, it's a collection of uh, villages. I to think there. And how old are you, Susan? I am 47. <laughs> and that's just one side of me. Okay, what's the dream? I, I'm trying to be a professional singer. And why hasn't it worked out so far, Susan? Well, I've never been given the chance before, but here's hoping it'll change. Okay, and who would you like to be as successful as? Elaine Page. Elaine Page. Like what are you going to sing tonight? I'm going to sing I Dreamed a Dream from the Miserables. Okay, big song. <laughs> yeah? Yes. Oh, what happened? Did we, did we lose it? Oh, it's almost like that happened on purpose. <laughs> all right, all right, help me out, help me out. How many of you have seen that clip before? A lot of people, okay. Uh, maybe I'll show it. Well, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, let me ask you a question, though. When that stopped, okay, what was the feeling that you got when that stopped? Anxious, right? Maybe anticipation. I saw some of you when I announced it, you got, you got a little cozy in your seat. You're like, okay, I'm going to watch this clip. I'm going to either watch them utterly fail, right? 
or maybe sing something glorious or who knows? Like that's the, that's the whole point of those shows, isn't it? Like, you know, you get to watch someone, you don't know what to expect. It's the cliche, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, right? And you're watching because you don't know what to expect. You kind of sit on the edge of your seat like, okay, what now? <laughs> if you got that feeling, then you got in a tiny, tiny fraction what the disciples felt uh, when Jesus left, gave them the Holy Spirit, and then it was like, well, what now? <laughs> like, we've been doing this whole thing for years with Jesus. I know you gave us the Holy Spirit, but now what? There wasn't no, like, you know, church planning 101 book that Jesus said, here, just read this, study it, you'll be good, guys. It was like, well, what's, what's now? Like, what do we do now here? I want to take you to another place. It's later in time. It's a place in uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, Istanbul, actually. It's actually a church building, or was a church building. It's called Hagia Sophia. Anyone ever heard of it before? A couple people, yeah. I want to show you a couple pictures of it, because this is where the early church, we saw an explosion uh, in Christianity and the growth of Christianity. This is the building. You know, we, we use terms like mega churches now. <laughs> this was like the first mega church. It's a beautiful building. Uh, you can see the inside, the dome there uh, reaches almost 200 feet up in the air. Modern day architects don't even know to this day how they built that dome there. It survived earthquakes, fires, the mosaics there you can see are Christian. Um, beautiful, stunning building. The columns there, we believe, they imported those from the temple of Artemis in the, in the city of Ephesus, where Paul wrote a lot of his letters there. In, incredible building. Now, today, it's a, it's a mosque. Uh, it's Muslim-owned. And uh, it's not a church anymore. <laughs> it, it's a relic. But at one point, church... For 900 years, this was the capital of Christianity. Three of the seven major ecumenical councils okay, that the early church forefathers met to decide things like, you know, is Jesus human and divine at the same time? A lot of the, the things that we, that we quote back in like the Nicene Creed, those, those decisions were made here. The split between Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodox, those were made in this building. For 900 years, this was the central megachurch of the world. For years, Christianity exploded. And then, after this, it just stopped. It started to decline, majorly, actually. You say, well, what was it? Well, we can argue all the different reasons why. One of the main reasons, though, was it was the first year that Constantine, the emperor of Rome, made Christianity legal. Being a Christian now became easy. And the early church in this stage all of a sudden saw this wildfire start to dim and they had everything they ever wanted. I mean, they wanted Christianity to be legal. They saw it growing in, in incredible rates. They had everything they could dream of, and yet the church was in a decline. And the early church might have been asking questions like, what now? 
you may be asking some of those same similar questions in our culture. As a church, we've experienced tough times, but man, we live in an incredible season in an incredible country where we can enjoy the freedom of our religion. We have everything we really need compared to the persecuted church, and yet we're seeing churches close. We're seeing people leave the faith in droves. Maybe you've looked at stats and looked at it and asked the same question as this early church at Hagia Sophia. What now? What do we do now? Did we veer off in some way? Let me tell you how Christmas at my house goes. <clears throat> my kids are teenagers now, but when they were younger, they had all the need-to-be-assembled toys, parents. <laughs> And so as soon as all the presents were opened, <laughs> dads, you know, that's when you go to work, <laughs> right? The tools come out. And here's, here's how I do it. I don't know about you, but I open up the box of that toy. There's a big old manual there. <laughs> that thing's in the trash, right? And I'm, I'm putting screws in. I got tools they give me. I'm using my own tools. And then I put something together and it breaks. <laughs> and what do you have to do? Go back to the manual, <laughs> pull it out of the trash. Like, oh, I forgot that screw there. Oh, <laughs> right? Today, this morning, I want to go back to the manual. Maybe we've missed some things. I know I've missed some things that I just need to be reminded of. And we need to go back to the manual to do that. So I want to look at two kind of obscure scriptures in the Bible that I think will help us kind of figure out what now? What do, what do we do now? What is our responsibility in this season and in our culture as a church? Before we do that, we gotta kinda know what our destination is. So in the beginning, we know, if you know your Bible at all, we know in the beginning was what? God, right? And God created the heavens and the earth and we know, according to scripture, that Eden was perfect, right? Uh, people ask me as a pastor all the time, why did God create evil and, and suffering? And my answer is the same all the time. He didn't. <laughs> he created Eden. He created perfection. He created a place for me and you where he would dwell among us and there would be no pain and, and sickness and disease and brokenness and sin. None of that was in the plan, Eden was the plan, but as you know and I know, we don't live in Eden, do we? We live east of Eden. <laughs> well, because of one apple and one introduction to sin, we see the snowfall, right? The avalanche, if you will, of what sin does. And because of that, pain, brokenness, sickness, uh, you name it, uh, broken relationships are all part of the narrative now. We see that, but that wasn't the intent, and that's not the destination. If you go to the beginning, you read that God started in a garden, and if you go to the end of the book in, in Revelations, you realize, like a bookend, it ends in a garden. That's the destination. Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 says this, I, uh, Then I, being John, the disciple who saw this in a vision, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I also heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is among the universe. No, what does it say? The dwelling of God is among men. men. That's the intent at the beginning. That's the intent at the end. And he shall tabernacle or dwell among them. They shall be his people and God himself shall be among them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Guys, death will be no more. It won't be a story. It won't be a part of the news. Nor shall there be mourning or crying or pain any longer for the former things have passed away. And the one seated upon the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are trustworthy and true. I want to teach you a Hebrew phrase today. It goes like this, Takun Olam. Everyone say, Takun. Say, Olam. Takun Olam. It's a Hebrew phrase. Maybe some of you have heard it. It's been around for a long, long time. Takun means to repair, to fix, to aid. Olam means all things. It would later be translated the world even. So Takun Olam means to repair all things. In the beginning was Eden, right? The two trees we had. <clears throat> like my drawing. And in the end was was the garden as well. Perfection. No more tears, no more disease. There were two trees there too. But we live in the middle, right? In between two trees. In the brokenness. And it all started when God said, I want to dwell among them. I want to be with them. That's the end destination. But God just can't show up. He's holy and we live in a world where there is sin. And so in the beginning, he created this thing called the temple, right? Or the tabernacle. Uh, today, we might call it what? Church, right? <clears throat> and God said, I'm going to have a home. I'm going to dwell among you, and I'm going to have an address. If you want to get a hold of me, if you want to send a postcard, send it P.O. Box, the temple, <laughs> It's where he dwelt. It's where he was. And you couldn't just walk in there. We've heard these stories. You've read some of the scriptures before. God is holy. There was a curtain that separated, right, the world from where God dwelt there in the Holy of Holies. You know, and, and no one could just walk in there. And so God created this other kind of in-between, and it was the priests, right? And the priests were the ones that would go in-between, Okay? They were the ones that could go in between God and us. They would mediate, right? Uh, God would actually call the Jewish people a royal priesthood, a, 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 a people of priests. We would be included in that later. You're a royal priesthood. We are called to be priests that go between the thing that represents God. Does that make sense? But there, it was still kind of locked up, and this wasn't God's plan. And so if you read in the scriptures, God actually introduces us to the third part of the Trinity, 
Jesus. Jesus is God made flesh. He's actually called in the scriptures our high priest. He's the one that now, instead of a priest, Jesus says, you can come directly to me. Instead of going to a temple, instead of going to a building, you can come directly to meet God in the flesh. But there's one problem with that. How many of you guys ran into Jesus in the last week? In the flesh. No, right? Because in the flesh, he's not there. He was limited with that. And so what happens? Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit in us. This is incredible. The curtain that separates in the, in the temple, that separates the holy, the sacred from the secular, is now ripped in half. Representing so much, representing a, a, hey, there's no more being locked in a building. There's no more going to a priest to represent. There's no more even just going to Jesus. You can experience God yourself. And in turn, us can help change the world. How does Tikkun Olam happen? You and me, repairing things, everything as it was into everything as it should be. You get a part. God invites you into the adventure. Here's where I think we kind of lost ourselves. I think we've taken us out of the equation. We say, come to our churches, come see our pastors. And we've taken us out of it. And I think we need to go back to the manual and see what God says about this and what is our responsibility. Are you guys with me so far? Yeah. All right, if you got your Bibles, open up to the book of Luke, chapter seven. And then we're gonna look at, put your finger there. We're gonna look in Matthew chapter eight. We're going to look at two stories, two stories that are the same story, but told in two different gospels that, have you ever read stuff in the scriptures and just felt like, man, that feels like it contradicts itself, right? There, there's just some parts of that. You know, uh, the early rabbis, when they would uh, come across a scripture that they didn't understand, they would actually dance. They would celebrate. <laughs> Why? Because they knew this. Even though they didn't understand it now, it was the potential for God to share something and reveal something in the future. And so they were excited. They were joyful about what God could share about the scripture. So let's start in Luke. I want to see if you notice the differences. We're going to read both stories and see if you can catch the slight changes in it. Verse 1, uh, Luke chapter 7 says, when Yeshua, Jesus, finished all his drash or his teaching in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a certain centurion, what's a centurion? Anyone know? It was a soldier, a Roman soldier of high importance. He probably led around 80 different soldiers. 
Um, and because, you know, Rome wasn't, hadn't occupied necessarily, set up camp, they were there just to kind of keep the order for Herod. You know, so here's the centurion, probably just doing good, probably not liked by most of the Jewish people, but yet he's there. And he has a valued slave, it says, who was ill and about to die. When he heard about Yeshua or Jesus, he sent Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and save his slave. When they came to Yeshua, they begged him earnestly saying, he's worthy for you to grant this. He loves our people and he even built our synagogue. He's a good guy. Verse six, now Yeshua started to go with them when he wasn't far off from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, master, do not trouble yourself for I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. That's why I didn't consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go and he goes and to another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it. Verse nine, now when Yeshua heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Cool story, right? How many have read that before, right? All right, same story, different author, Found in Matthew now, chapter eight. Let's see if you can notice any differences here. Verse five. Now, when Yeshua came into Capernaum, a centurion came begging for help. Master, he said, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, horribly tormented. Yeshua said to him, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion said, master, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. <laughs> From a mandator authority with soldiers under me, I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, when Yeshua heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, amen, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Moreover, I tell you that many will come from the east and the west, and they'll recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be driven out, of the, out into the outer darkness in the place that will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Yeshua said to the centurion, go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And the servant was healed in that same what? Hour. Now, did anyone catch the difference in the story? Now, Jesus has a little bit of more of an explanation, a response. We we do see that, but I'm not talking about that. You want to see anything strikingly different in the narrative of these two different stories. Same story, right? Same story, but slightly different kind of telling of it. What was it? The centurion, the centurion right? Let's play this out. Let's, uh, let's say I'm Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Okay, all right. <laughs> I'm just going to go home now. <laughs> Mike, you want to help me stand up here? Give it up for Mike. Mike heads our coffee bar. <laughs> you look like a centurion soldier. Let's give him a salute, guys. Yeah, there you go. Well done. He's got a sick servant, okay? He's sick, but in Luke's story, right, he says he, he wants to get this servant healed. So he hears about this Jesus. So what does, he, what does Luke tell the first story? What does he do? He sends his, elder, his, his Jewish elders, right? 
Right? So why don't you send someone over there? You got someone you could send over? Oh, my wife. I love this. Let's stop there. <laughs> now it says, while, while he goes, the elders go meet with Jesus, they say, listen, we've got a, my, our boss, our friend has a sick, a sick servant. Would you come heal him? He says, I'll go with you. So they start to walk together. And about halfway through, he sends other friends, right? Marcy, come on up here. Give it up for Marcy. <laughs> and this friend goes, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't have to come, Jesus. Why? He says, I'm a, I'm a, I understand this. I have a man underneath me, blah, 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 right? What, I, what he says, he does. And Jesus says, I haven't seen such great faith. How would you like Jesus to be amazed at you? Yeah. Wow. Amen. So I haven't seen this kind of faith. Go. The, the servant is healed. And they go. You guys can grab a seat. And the servant's healed, right? Matthew, though, has the centurion. Six slaves still. But what does Matthew tell? Come on over, my man. <laughs> And while he's coming, he meets Jesus, and the same dialogue happens, right? Jesus says, I'm, I'm amazed at this faith. Go, your kid, your, not, sorry, not your kid, your, your servant is healed. And he goes home, give it up for Mike, and he's healed. Why, why the two different, it's subtle, right? Subtle. But what's the difference between the two? Why does Matthew record something a little bit different than Luke? And does it matter? Do you want to know? Yes. Okay, three people. I'm going to go home and we'll just go the three of us. Do you want to know? There's a, a legal Latin phrase that was said and practiced all over this time. Okay, it was a maxim, and it goes by this. Okay, this gives us a clue. What one does by another, one does by oneself. What one does by another, one does by oneself. If I, as a father, send a document with my signature, it's as if... I am present there wherever that document goes. Does this make sense? So when Luke is writing this and Matthew's writing this, he's giving us a little bit of a spiritual clue. When you go to your work, when you go and serve in the kids' ministry, when you go get coffee in your regular day-to-day, it's not just you that is going, but it is, if you call yourself a Christ follower, it is who else? It's as if Jesus himself is going. Because the sender is just as powerful as the one who sent if the authority has been given. Do you hear me? <laughs> Check this out. A little bonus content. We didn't do this last night. <clears throat> if I told you to get in a rocket and to travel in that rocket 
<laughs> for 10 years at 160,000 miles per second. If you were to travel back here in 10 years, open up that rocket, walk out, you would have been aged 10 years while everyone else here on earth will have aged 20. It's a science. It's crazy, isn't it? If I tell you to get in a rocket and go 170,000 miles per second, if you travel and come back in that 10 years, you will have aged in our time, 20 years, you will have aged one day. And if you listen, if you can travel at 186,000 miles per second, which we all know is what, the speed of? Now, you can't travel at the speed of light because mass at that speed expands into infinity. So don't ever let anyone say that you're fat. Just say, I'm traveling faster than you. <laughs> but if you were to travel at 186,000 miles per second and you were to leave right now and come back, you would have traveled in time and the now would also be then and also there. And it's as if you would be in two different places in time completely. Now we can't do that. There's someone else that can. And I want you to see this because it's so powerful. When you go, when you serve, when you are the hands and feet of Jesus, it's not just a cliche to say that. It's literally Jesus going with you. It's as if he's right there helping you, helping them. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Listen to Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, verse 20. It says, I pray not on behalf of these only, being the disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their message. Question, anyone here believe in Jesus through those disciples' message? Yes, that means he's praying for you, okay? Jesus is praying this prayer for you, that they may be one. How? Just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, so also may they be in us. So what? That the world may believe that you sent me. The world will believe that Jesus was sent when we're in unity and being the hands and feet of Jesus. When he's in him and him is in us and us is in him and you said, right? Oh, this is so powerful. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may be perfected in unity, God, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. We, in our everyday life, gets the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Miss Thompson was a teacher in fifth grade. And she was looking forward to the year, but she had one student, his name was Teddy, that she wasn't so excited about. By all appearances, Teddy was, didn't look put together, right? As a, fifth, as a typical fifth grader, you know, we know how typical fifth grade boys can be, but he was a little bit more so. Disheveled, 
looked like he hadn't bathed in a while, was disconnected from kids, you know, didn't talk a lot, was grumpy. When, you'd an- when he'd answer a question, he would kind of snap, was really short. Miss Thompson <laughs> almost had a perverse pleasure in marking wrong answers on all of Teddy's tests. And she should have known better. <laughs> if she had any gumption, she would have looked back at the old transcriptions and the years past and seen the other teacher's remarks. Miss Thompson was a Christ follower, but as she began to learn some of this, you would understand Teddy wasn't this way just by accident. First grade teacher, Teddy's a joy to have in class. Friends with everyone, we love him in our, in our class. The second grade, uh, Teddy is a great student. He learns a lot, but his mom has been diagnosed with a terminal illness. I'm afraid this might be a tough year. Third grade, Teddy is disconnected. His mom passed away. He's pulling away from some friends. Someone should do something. Fourth grade, Teddy's completely disconnected and disinterested in anything. Dad's not in the picture anymore. He's kind of by himself. His grades are dropping. Miss Thompson was getting ready for the school break. It was Christmas time, and all the students brought some gifts, including Teddy. And all the students could kind of tell Teddy's gift wasn't already, you know, up to par. It was kind of wrapped in some brown paper bag and loose tape kind of put around. Miss Thompson opened all the gifts, and as she opened Teddy's brown paper bag gift, she pulled out a bracelet with rhinestones half missing and a bottle of perfume with just a quarter of the the perfume left. And thankfully, Miss Thompson took the cue. As the students started to snicker and giggle at Teddy's kind of used gift, Miss Thompson (laughs) took the perfume and put it on and said, Teddy, this smells so good. Thank you for the bracelet and the perfume. And the students took their cue and clapped. And as all the students left, Teddy hung around a little bit later and walked up to the teacher as she left and said, Miss, Miss Thompson, I hope you like your gift. You smell just like my mother did. Miss Thompson, as Teddy left the room, fell on her knees. Said, Father, forgive me. I didn't know I could be the hands and feet of Jesus here. And she made a vow, a difference, that she wouldn't see every kid just the same. And the next day was a different day, not just for her, but for Teddy. In any way that she could help, she would aid and assist Teddy. If it was a special test day, she would put on that perfume that day just to encourage him. And on all his tests, she would make sure he had everything he needed, that he was encouraged, that that he was valued. And Teddy graduated that year. And he slipped a little letter underneath her table, underneath her uh, classroom door. She read, Dear Miss Thompson, this has been 
a good class and you are my favorite teacher. Love, Teddy. Miss Thompson's heart was warmed, but it didn't stop there. Just a couple years later, she got another letter. Dear Miss Thompson, it's Teddy. I've graduated high school. It wasn't easy, but I did it. You're still my favorite teacher. Love, Teddy. And then another four years, she got another letter. Dear Miss Thompson, <laughs> I have now graduated college, third in my class. It wasn't easy, but I did it. Thank you for being there for me. You're still my favorite teacher. Love, Teddy. And then four years later, she gets one more letter. Dear Miss Thompson, four years of school wasn't enough. I thought I'd go to be a doctor. Today I'm graduating. Theodore M.D. <laughs> P.S. You're still my favorite teacher. And then just a couple years later, she would get one more later, one more letter. Dear Miss Thompson, in just a few months, I'm going to be getting married to the love of my life. Dad passed away a couple years ago. Would you come and sit in the place where my mother would have sat? It would be such an honor. You know what Miss Thompson did? She sat there. And she deserved to sit there. And afterwards, Teddy went up to her and whispered, Miss Thompson, thank you for being there for me. She whispered back, no, Teddy, thank you for teaching me that I am the hands and feet and voice of Jesus. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, in whatever place and capacity that you're doing it, you are like Jesus being there. You are that light, that hope you get when you read those stories of Jesus, that, that's literally you going and doing that. Don't forget that. Don't veer away from that. We can make an impact. We can, tikkun olam, bring together the restoration of all things. All right, you with me? All right, one last story here. It's, it's an interesting story. It's found in Genesis. Chapter 18. And we're going to start in verse 16. Now, you may be sitting here and you're going, okay, I get this. I'm the hands and feet of Jesus. You know, I get to partake in, that, in the restoration of all things. But why? Like, why, why, am I, why couldn't God just like skip all of this and just go directly to people? Like, why, why are we necessary to the story? And I found this story that I think will tell us. It's one of the most incredible stories about 4,000 years ago here we get this story of Abraham. And I'll, I'll fill you in in, in the beginning part. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, they're old in age, okay? Uh, Sarah's post-menopausal. Uh, she is told by three strangers that shows up, you're gonna have a child. To which she laughs, <laughs> rightfully so. Are you crazy? Did you not take science at all? <laughs> Do you know how this works? And the strangers, which we are to assume are angels or angelic beings, say, no, we'll be back and mark my words, you will be with child. 
And then we think the scene ends. If you read this part of the scripture, we think, okay, new story, scene, uh, part two starts, but it's not. It's a continuation, and we'll talk about that. Here's verse 16, it says this. Then the men got up from there and looked down over Sodom. Now all of a sudden we're in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham was walking with them, the strangers, to send them off, in verse 17, when Adonai, God, who she's right there all of a sudden, I don't know, like, okay, he says this, should I keep secret from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham will most certainly become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I've made known, made myself known to him, so that he will command his sons and his household after him to keep the ways of Adonai by doing what? Righteousness and justice. So that Adonai may, be, may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And then Adonai says this, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great indeed and their sin is very grievous indeed. I wanna go down now and see if they deserve destruction as it, its outcry has come to me and if not, I will know. Now, this is strange, because first of all, who is God talking to? <laughs> like, Abraham's having this discussion with these three strangers. They turn towards Sodom and Gomorrah. All of a sudden, God's having this narrative. Hey, should I tell Abraham about this? Right? And, and you're like, well, wait, is he talking to the angels? Is it, but Abraham overhears it. And he responds, not the strangers, but he responds. Okay, how does he respond? He responds this way. Verse 23, Abraham drew near and he said this to God. Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you really sweep away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do so such a thing to cause the righteous to die with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked share the same fate. Far be it from you, God. Shall the judge of the whole world not exercise justice? Right? And, and if you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Abraham goes, God, if there's 50 people, you wouldn't surely destroy the city. And what does God do? He ascends, doesn't he? He goes, okay. Question, <laughs> what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah? It's destroyed. We know this, right? So there was not 50 righteous people. Does God know this? Why does he even allow Abraham to talk then? Why is this even? Because if you know the story, Abraham goes, okay, God, 50, how about 40? And, and surely, God, 30, I'm not stepping on your toes here. Please, God, I know my place. But if there's 30, 20, he goes all the way down to 10, doesn't he? He's arguing for this. Now, God the whole time, he's omnipotent. He knows everything, right? What is gonna happen? <laughs> he knows he's gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet he allows Abraham to have this dialogue. In fact, it's almost like he wants Abraham to have this dialogue. Why? If the point in the end was he was gonna destroy, why does God, why does he allow this? Why is this conversation even happening? Check this out. God being omnipotent, he is beginning and end, right? 
There, there is no beginning and end, right? It's infinity, isn't it? His perspective over time and place and everything is much bigger than our perspective, isn't it? Our perspective in, in, in view of God's timeline is what? <laughs> right? Like maybe that, that kind of dot. It's a little speck in there. But in that little speck, in that little dot, there's so much, isn't there? There's people and there's stories and there's relationships and there's healing and there's, there's broken. All of that is mixed into that little dot, into that little window. How many parents in here? A lot of parents. Parents, when your kid is sick, when your kid is sick, do you get down and just wallow in their suffering? No, right? You don't do that because as a parent, you have a different perspective. You know, I've got to get medicine. I've got to heal. I've got to clean this scrape out. I've got to do the necessary things so that you're, I, I know I'm not crying with you. I know it seems insensitive, kid, when I see you fall as you're learning to walk, but I'm not insensitive. I just have a different perspective, right? You have a different, your, your perspective is on the ground. My perspective is bigger. If you're a surgeon, you don't get caught up in the middle of, of the patient's you know, current situation, their pain and what's happening in the instance because you've got a job to do. You almost have to numb yourself in a way to the cries of some of those voices. If you're, if you're making big decisions of sending armies to go to war, battle, you don't get caught up necessarily in, in the nuances of the deaths. You have to see the big picture, don't you? That's God's picture. Your picture is different. But when God almost begs Abraham to engage with this, he's saying, Abraham, I need that. You bring a unique human perspective. You're on the ground. You don't see as I do. I mean, look at Abraham's response. We don't know. Did Abraham maybe know? He had a nephew there, Lot, right? Maybe he knew some of the faces there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe he heard some of the stories, right? Maybe he knew some of the narratives that were happening in some of the families. I don't know. But whatever it was, it drew Abraham to go, God, hey, 50, if 40 people are there, you wouldn't surely destroy it. He advocates, he fights for, and God says, yeah, he allows it. In fact, he wants it, even knowing there aren't that many righteous and he's gonna destroy it, and ultimately divine justice will be served. God still wants human justice in, in part of it. And you bring that voice. You say, what, well, what's the big deal with prayer then? That's exactly it. If God knows everything, he still says, I want you involved in the process. I want you to advocate. I want you to fight your unique place, the, the workplace, the friendships, the family you have in the city that you live, in the church that you have, gives you a unique perspective that no one else has. And it allows you to see the hearts and the lives of those around you and go, God, please bring revival. Bring healing to this family. 
I, I don't know what you're thinking, God, and I don't want to know, but I know there's hurt right now, and, and they need you. It's a responsibility. It's a call to arms to say, I'll be a part of this tikkun olam to heal a fractured world. But we've, it's, it's really incredible when you think about it. Because not only does God go with you, not only does he say, your, your position, your place, your perspective is valuable. I need that. But for thousands of years, he's been trying to get out of a building and out of pastors and priests into us. And we've spent the better part of our life trying to put him back into pastors and priests and back into a building. And God doesn't want that. His design was for us, was for you to carry the weight to use your gifts and talent. You say, Jake, I, I don't know what I have to offer. It's just, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just you know, a teacher at a school. I can't, you know, what can I do? With your unique perspective, going in place of Jesus, when that happens, well, it, it kind of looks like this. Go ahead and play that clip, guys.
very much, uh, Susan Piers. Without a doubt, that was the biggest surprise I have had in three years on this show. When you stood there with that cheeky grin and said, I, I want to be like Elaine Page, everyone was laughing at you. No one is laughing now. That was stunning. An incredible performance. Amazing. I'm reeling from shock about you two, but... I am so thrilled because I know that everybody was against you. I honestly think that we were all being very cynical and I think that's the biggest wake-up call ever. And I just want to say that it was a complete privilege listening to that. It was inspirational. I knew the minute you walked out... On that stage, <laughs> that we were going to hear something extraordinary, and I was right. Not <laughs> a lot of touch. Susan, you are a little tiger, aren't you? No, I don't know about that. You are. I don't know about that. OK, moment of truth. Here's yes or no. The biggest yes I have ever given anybody. <laughs> Amanda? Yes, definitely. Susan Boyle, you can go back to the village with your head held high. It's three S's. <laughs> Come on, would you stand with me? <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? There is so much potential that you have inside of you. That's why God puts you for such a time as this. Okay, you weren't born 100 years later. You weren't born 100 years from now. You were born for this time. And you go in place of Jesus. And by the way, that's what the Holy Spirit does inside of you. Listen, 200 years from now, this beautiful new building that we have, it's probably gonna be gone. It's the reality of it. But you know what? Who cares? Because the church is right here. The church is you and the church is me. In just a moment, you're going to head out there. I want you to go meet some of these tables, these ministries. They're, these ministries aren't there for kicks and giggles, okay? We didn't create them just to create them. They're there for a purpose. There's a need, and it may need you. You may be the perfect fit for that. I want to encourage you to go out and do that. Has this been good? Yeah. All right, guys.